welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. start by reading a scripture from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We've been talking about kingdom culture and Jesus said this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Aren't you glad uh, you came to church? Um, The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Well, Jesus was pointing out the difference between the ways of the world and the ways of God and his kingdom and his people. And Jesus says right there that if we follow him, then we're living in his kingdom and that we're no longer part of this worldly kingdom, that we don't belong to it, that we're called out of it. And in fact, it says there that there's actually hatred at times towards God's people, because there's a spirit in the world that will rise up, an anti-Christ spirit. And, and you can see it throughout human history over against the Jewish people. Un, impossible to understand the, uh, unless it's spiritually understood. And, and even in your own life, maybe you've been persecuted at times uh, and, and challenged and find, it, f- f- find yourself sometimes being hated unnecessarily uh well that's why because there is a difference there's a big difference between god's kingdom and his culture and the culture of the world which is what we've been looking at for the last six weeks or so we've been covering some of the distinctives about god's kingdom and his culture and how they relate or differ to the culture of the world we live in and we've talked about love such a foundational principle for god's kingdom uh, talked about his sovereignty, who's in charge of our life. Talked about um, rest in the kingdom of God as opposed to rush and anxiety that we find around in the world. Talked about our sense of identity. Last week, Byron preached a great message on faith as opposed to fear. Um, and there's many other aspects of the kingdom of God and the culture of God's kingdom that we could explore. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up today. We've got another series next week, very exciting we'll launch into. Uh, And so today I just want to talk about one last issue, which is a big one, and that is the concept of truth. Truth is found in God's kingdom culture. It's part part of the fabric of of kingdom culture. And Jesus was always very happy to proclaim the truth, even if it was uncomfortable for people to hear, as we see in that passage. Sometimes Jesus was really politically incorrect, sometimes upsetting and disturbing for some people with presenting the truth, just like that passage would have been, maybe still is, kind of concerning for people to feel uh, separated or challenged to realise there really is a big difference uh, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And, you know, today there's a lot of talk about disruptors. People like to be an influencer or a disruptor. Well, Jesus was the original disruptor and he brought that disruption because he spoke the truth into a world that sometimes doesn't like the truth, caught up in lies and falsehood, can't, can't handle the truth, 
if you'll excuse the poor Jack Nicholson impersonation of Colonel Jessup. We live in a world that has walls. Those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant? I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. Sorry. Anyway, it's a wonderful speech. If you may remember, there's a film called uh, A Few Good Men and Jack Nicholson plays a, uh, a, a part with his brilliant acting ability. Um, but Jesus can't help but proclaim the truth because he is the truth. John records his words. John 14, 6, you may know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he brings that truth into our lives. He promises that we can know the truth. Because John also records uh, in chapter 8, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we can be set free from lies, from falsehood, from sin, from all kinds of stuff that's going on by the truth, by knowing the truth, by coming to Jesus. And, uh, and so this is part of living in God's kingdom culture, that we can know this truth, be set free from it and, and live by that truth. And I want to look at three main areas of life where this applies. I want to touch on the first two, give you some scriptures and thoughts to reflect on, but I really want to land on the third one. So the first area is just to think about ourselves. Because worldly culture today says that you are inherently good and that mankind, humankind, is actually uh, improving all the time. This is humanism. Uh, and this worldview says that when things go wrong or people do terrible things or something bad, it's not really their fault. They're just a product of their environment or their upbringing. And that is a pervasive cultural kind of uh, view in our world. However, God tells us something different. And from his word, we find truth that says, when, when you read the Bible, you find that, well, there's some, there's some good news and the bad news. What do you want to hear first? The bad news is that we have all sinned. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God, of his glorious standard. And, uh, and that you're not perfect. You're far from it. And that when things go wrong, it, it's often because of our own responsible choices that we make. And we do make mistakes and that we're not improving all by ourselves, that we really need help. We're in a bad way. That's just the stark reality of human existence. But the good news, another reality, another truth, is that help has been offered. And here's Jesus coming because God has provided for us a way to deal with sin, to cope with the issues that ruin our lives and the world around us. And so through Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be set free from sin. We can be cleansed, made righteous in the sight of God. And this is the gospel. We're overpowered. Sorry, we're, we're empowered to overcome sin, even and follow him with a clear, clean conscience. And this is summed up in this wonderful two verses in First John chapter one. Maybe you know this. Certainly helpful to help people uh, if you're sharing your faith. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? It's very simple. But sadly, many people let their pride prevent them from dealing with the sin that is real. They just don't want to know about it. 
and they deceive themselves, as it says there, into thinking that, hey, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I've, in fact, it's not my fault. We've all been there, haven't we? It's all very easy to just blame someone else and not have a good hard look inside at ourselves and just to say, no, no, I know, I know all, I know this, I've got it, I'm okay, it's not my issue, it's their issue, your issue. What we really need is a good dose of humility and honesty because that's the antidote to deception. That's the pathway to help us find truth. That's the, the bedrock of living by the truth because then when we're honest, when we're humble, then you can admit your fault. Then you can admit, okay, you know, I'm lacking something or I sinned or I did the wrong thing. And then, only then, do you reach out for an answer. You don't go looking for an answer if you think you don't have a problem. And you're not asking questions. And in the same way, the Bible says, uh, look at Romans 12 verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Some people are drunk in their judgment about themselves, <laughs> staggering around like a drunk person, believing all kinds of stuff. But sober judgment or an honest appraisal of our life will lead you to the truth. And, you, and you'll be able to recognise your strengths, but you'll also be able to recognise your weaknesses. And then you can deal with them rather than ignore them and have them just staying there all the time. So, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff to think about there. But like I said, I'm just throwing that out. Give you some scriptures. You're all good. You're okay, but you're not perfect. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is the truth that we need to face up to, and we, and we do well to face the truth about ourselves. Second area is about the world around us. Because, again, worldly cultures tells us that when we try to understand the world, we do so from our own perception, our own reality, but that there's no real absolute truth. It's just what your truth is is great for you, but it's not for me. And don't make it for me, please, because that's just your truth. And, and we're all just finding our own way in life. And truth is, is very relative. In fact, for you know, centuries, all throughout the ages, philosophers have discussed and debated what truth is, all sorts of theories on what truth really is. And often they come up just with more questions than answers. As Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Well, Pontius, he was standing right in front of you when you said that. <laughs> in fact, when you read John's Gospel, just before you read what Pontius Pilate said, he said that in response to what Jesus said. And you read that in John 18, verse 37. Jesus said, the reason I came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Wow. So again, Jesus has brought truth to us. We can know the truth when we listen to Jesus. We can side with the truth. We don't have to wonder about whether things are right or wrong or have to adopt some kind of fluid morality to just sort of cope and flow with changes that come in society. There's the latest opinions or views that are promoted in the world as to what is right or wrong. There is absolute truth. There is falsehood. There is right and wrong. We can know it. God decides what it is. 
not you or me. And, I mean, it's sort of uncool to talk like this. I'm very trendy, especially young millennial kind of people. We've all got to discover truth. That's fair and, and we all have free will. And I'm not trying to tell people you have to listen to my truth, but we do well to go to God and then receive and submit and obey and surrender to what truth really is. As I said, it's not, it's not groovy language to talk like that, but it, it's real. And so, and we then get to walk with an awareness of what truth is and a wisdom that God will give us to figure out what isn't true. What the, there's lies, there's, there's scams, misinformation, fake news, if you like. It really does exist. Um, not always what some people might claim is fake news is fake news, but God will make it clear. There's political agendas that cloud or distort the truth that sadly has even been found inside churches over the years. Uh, and so we can grow up in Christ and discern what is true. And we're told that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is talking about us becoming mature. In um, You know, it says the fivefold ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers being given to the church. You know, this verse 11 says why so that we can be equipping the church we can do the work of the ministry and then it says so that we can in verse 13 we will grow to reach unity or we'll be mature uh, maybe i'm reading from a different translation oh yeah, yeah that'll do until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature and then it says um, or some translations attaining to the full measure of christ growing in maturity but look at verse 14 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So it was in the early church. I mean, outside the church, but in other passages, you can see the implication here is confirmed that there were some weird and wacky teachings going on, even inside the church at the time. But verse 15, it says, look, instead, speaking the truth in love, we can grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So notice we can speak the truth, but in love. In other words, we are to be diplomatic and gracious and loving in our dealings with people. But at the same time, we should be not tossed about, as it says, by weird teachings. That, that is, so we're not swayed by public opinion or popular trends or shifting moral positions that prevail in the world around us today. Because, you know, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. People get entrapped by thinking, uh-oh, what will they think? Oh, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to... That cannot be your bedrock. That can't be... I mean, it's, like I said, we have to be diplomatic. We're walking in truth, speaking the truth in love. We're gracious, but... But we have to be careful that we, we don't get ensnared by worrying too much what will people think. You know, we have to be holding on to what God says is true, even at the risk of upsetting people that work for Jesus. And, uh, you know, we are to model our lives on him. Um, and so we've got to be brave, got to be bold, stand up for what's right, hold on to our convictions and, uh, and reveal, you know, let God reveal to us what's true, and, and he will um, in all different ways. You know, when we first started the church, more than oh, 
25 years ago, we had a lovely old man uh, named Arthur. Remember Arthur? And he has since gone on to glory. He was originally from uh, some part of northern England because he had this lovely accent. And he used to get up and, and prophesy, Sense, are you listening? And, and, and then he'd launch and he'd, he'd prophesy in, in our services. And um, here's a lovely, godly, godly guy. Um, and I sat down with him once and he told me how he got saved. And he said that in the 1960s, he was watching television. And at the time, the Beatles were just world famous. You know, they, Beatlemania was sweeping the world and their fame had gone through the roof. And, uh, and John Lennon had, had infamously... Uh, claimed, we're bigger than Jesus. You've heard that statement. Of course, he said that in America and half the Bible Belt went mad, tried to kill him and there were protests everywhere and showing Christian love and grace. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Arthur was watching television with, and an interview uh, of the Beatles was on. Now, at this point in his life, he said he was not a Christian. He was not a believer. He must, just growing up in England, must have had some kind of input at you know, Sunday school or church or something. But he said he was absolutely not a believer in any way. But he was watching the Beatles on TV and he could just feel, he said, um, he, could, he could feel the pride, the complacency uh, that, that they were just resting in, oozing from the screen because they were young and cocky and incredibly talented and popular and going, you know, world famous, they're becoming icons. And he said it just got to him and he found it not just caught his attention, but he found he was sitting there, he was on his own watching the television. He stood up in the room and shouted at the Beatles on TV and said, you've got to get saved. And he, he said it was the weirdest thing because he wasn't even a Christian. And he realised what he had said and thought, well, I'm not even saved. And he dropped to his knees and gave his life to Christ right there in front of the TV with the Beatles on. And I always loved that story. And I don't know if I've shared it much or ever, but um, what had happened there? That was the truth coming out of his mouth. He was proclaiming the truth of the gospel and he was filled with conviction for himself because as he spoke out that truth, it convicted him of his own position before God. And God will bring the truth, you know, out and bring people to a realisation of what they need to do in all different ways, uh, which takes us to the third area of truth that kingdom culture embraces and cultivates, and that is the truth of the gospel, the good news. This is what I just want us to think about, especially this morning. You know Mark 16 verse 15. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know this passage. Jesus said to the disciples and to us, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone or to all creation. So here's the Great Commission. This is our calling. This is for all believers. And you know, when you've met Jesus and you've met the truth, we're then given that truth to share with others. We've all got a story that is our story within God's biggest story. And we have been given this calling to tell others about what's happened to us. Now, I recently read an evangelist uh, talking about witnessing and he said something really releasing, something I kind of knew, but I guess it was the way that he said it that was encouraging. He pointed out from this passage and others like it, Jesus never commanded us to convert people. 
He just commanded us to preach or to be witnesses or to share our faith. You, you don't and in fact can't change someone's mind, change their life, convert them, make them into a Christian. That pressure is just not there. There's no need for that. That's between them and God. The Holy Spirit will convict and what they do with it is their deal. But what we can do and what we must do is to at least witness to share what we know. So I found that encouraging because we are, you know, you're not responsible for someone's decision before God, but you are responsible to be obedient to God. Yeah. Um, this guy also said something that initially put me off because he said, look, it's very easy to witness. It's just like show and tell at school. Reason it put me off was I was never a fan of show and tell. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, show and tell, I was quite shy as a kid. And I found show and tell very intimidating. And I, I, I must, I think we must have had a roster, like it must have gone through the role. I don't think there was an option, otherwise I would have opted out. So I can remember just feeling awkward, like some kids just had the gift of the gab, and I discovered that a bit later. But at school, I was a bit of an introvert sometimes, and uh, and I, I, I just I just didn't like it. I don't know if you can relate, but I'm sure some of you, you know, you have to get up in front of your classmates and you had to talk about something and you, and I never knew what to share. And I can remember one, when I read this, I started thinking, I stopped and thought, show and tell. And I had this memory come back. I don't think I've ever shared this. Um, of a book that my parents had given me. And I remember thinking, it's show and tell, it's my turn. I've got to, I've got to do show and tell. I've got to bring something and I've got to talk about it. And they'd just given me this big, blue-coloured, shiny book. You know, we have these hardcover books and then they've got the shiny other outer cover and it was all very glossy. And the book was called, and I remember it was six times, Birds, 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 Birds. Now, no offence, babe, but I'm, I was never into birds. Still not. And I... I may not have ever opened the book. I remember getting the book, going, thanks, mum. You know how your parents, you love them, but every now and then they just, like, what was that, you know? Like, aunties and uncles are the worst. You know, like, socks, okay, great, you know, a hanky, you know, and then auntie, uncle Brian, God bless him, gave me a great big beach towel once. I was about 13 or 14. Oh, what is it? And I spread it out in front of everyone, and it was the, a picture of a naked woman, this great big, all right. So, uh, anyway, enough of Uncle Brian, God bless him. <laughs> he, and, and he probably said, oh, I thought, you know, you're growing up, Chris, you're probably good, yeah, you're be a man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, shut up, Uncle Brian, well, it's so embarrassing. Anyway, so I got the book and I remember taking the birds book to school and I remember st standing in front of the class. This may not be that funny to you. It certainly wasn't funny to me at the time, but I, I just think of it, it's a bit of a funny image because the kids, you had to say, and I remember saying, this is my book. It's about birds. And I remember saying, it's called, because the teacher would say, what's the book? I'd say, it's called Birds, 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 Birds. <laughs> and then, and then, and, you have, and then you have to say, any questions? Any questions? Any questions? So someone had probably said, so what's inside the book? Tell us about one of the birds, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah probably birds in there and I, I remember opening the book thinking for the first time I, I, I went oh well there's birds inside there's a yellow one and I had nothing to say it was just I just remember like can I sit down now please miss you know and just oh god you know I just want to get off and sit down and um 
oh, my mum's probably still got that book. I'll probably see it one day up at her place and have a nightmare. But um, anyway, back to, back to the Bible. Yeah, I should have saved it for you. If only I'd known. Anyway, God bless the birds. I mean, really, you know, but anyway. Uh, uh, look. But at its best, okay, so forget that story because really the guy made a good point. Show and tell. Unless you've got, you know, memories and and issues with show and tell. If you've had enough counselling and got over it, then, okay, it's good because he's just saying you talk about something that you know. And look, I became a school teacher and I saw kids and some of them loved it. And when I ran classrooms, I didn't make it compulsory. But there were some kids just bursting, aren't they, to talk, teachers, you know, and they're... They're just full of beans and they've been on holidays or they got this new puppy or whatever. Ah, and it's fantastic. And it's really interesting and it means there's another 20 minutes you don't have to teach. So you just sort of get them up there. That's from a casual teacher's perspective. You know, come on, come on, Martin. Six hours I can do this. You get thrown in the deep end. Redfern Primary in the 80s. Oh, help me cope, you know. Anyway, so there's another bad memory. Casual teaching in the 80s. Oh, okay. Back to the Bible, Lord. So... But at its best, when a kid's full of beans and they've got a story, show and tell's awesome. Because all you're saying is, this is something I really know that has happened to me or I'm excited about. And I'm telling you. And then I say, any questions? Thank you for listening. And that's what the guy was saying. That it's not rocket science and it doesn't have to be terrible. And, you know, the fact is many of us aren't gifted evangelists. And so the whole issue of sharing the truth of the gospel can be intimidating, can be a little bit off-putting, can be a bit upsetting. But we've got to take on the responsibility, even if it is uncomfortable, for two good reasons. One is God will help you. He does meet us at that point. And perhaps you've had that experience where you think, oh, God, and the Holy Spirit's opened a door and you start talking. Oh, and and it happened to me just yesterday with some motorbike guys. I had the opportunity to talk to one guy because another guy just went off and had a smoke. I said, why? He said, went out the back of the building. He's having a smoke. I said, why, is, um, why doesn't he smoke here? It's an outdoor area. He says, oh, that kind of smoke. Okay, fine. Well, I'm not going to offer to swap bikes thing because I wanted to ride his bike. I thought, I don't want this guy riding around. Anyway, some of the guys I'm with, it's great, you know, and I didn't have a puff. You'll be pleased to know. Um, but anyway, um, but I, the next minute, I'm just sharing with this other guy. And, uh, and you just have those moments where, oh, there's a door, there's an opportunity, and you start talking. Oh, wow, and God meets us. Because, as Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, you can do all things. And one of those things is to be a witness, to share your faith in some way, in some point. And that's why we talk about weekly witness. We figure at least once a week, if we're prayerfully open to God, we'll find an opportunity. There will be a door at some point this coming week. Maybe not every day. You don't have to become, you know, psycho evangelist. But there's always going to be something that happens. And so we think, just think sometime throughout this week, Lord, let me be humble. Let me be open and honest and and obedient to that door, that calling, that opportunity. And uh, so God will help you. That's one good reason. But the other thing is that sometimes if something's difficult and we are stretched beyond our comfort zone, it's good for us because we grow that way. You know, we don't really grow and improve and change without some growing pains or challenge. And so, uh, you know, you've all attempted 
difficult things at, diff- at different times in life, but uh, there's always a reward when you attempt that and you achieve that and then you're glad you tried it rather than just stayed in the comfort zone, yeah? And so we shouldn't ever let uh, objections in our own heart or fear or obstacles uh, stop us from moving forward in God's calling. And, um, and witnessing is the same dynamic for many of us that, yes, okay, a little reluctant, stepping out of the comfort zone, feel a little challenged, but, oh, I rely on the Holy Spirit, rely on his prompting, his leading, and then the words flow and the words get out and, and, and something's uh, achieved. Someone may not be at the point of decision to give their life to Christ. And, and, you know, many people over the years have pointed out, evangelists have done studies and all kinds of stuff and proven that people have to have a number of encounters with the gospel before they say, what must I do to be saved? And you might be at encounter one or three or five and they're going to need 10 or 12. I've heard different numbers bandied around. 7.6 was an average that I've heard one evangelist say. 14, the Billy Graham organisation used to say. You know, so at some point along the way, you're one of those seed-sowing people and maybe you're at 14 and you realise, whoa, this person's ready to give their life to Christ. But if not, that's okay. Because um, remember, we don't have to convert. We just have to confess the truth and God will use you. Even if the truth isn't presented perfectly. Let me finish with one last story. I've just been reading Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Miracles. And uh, he writes about a named, a man named, I should say, Craig Keener. Now, some of you deep-thinking Christians may have heard of this guy. He was a very intellectual atheist as a young man. And one day he encountered two street preachers. And they cornered him, they started preaching and he listened to them for a while and then he said to them, look guys, you've been telling me all this stuff from the Bible um, but the problem is I don't believe the Bible, I'm an atheist, you've got to give me something other than the Bible. That was their only foundation for truth, they had no other argument, they were just simple, strong, Bible-believing preachers. But they, they, so they were kind of stumped when he said that. They had nothing else. So as he walked off, one of the two just called out, well, you're hardening your heart against God and every time you do that, it makes it harder for you to repent and eventually you'll burn in hell forever. <laughs> and Lee Strobel writing about this, he makes the point that it, it wasn't a great example of friendship evangelism, <laughs> which is the catchphrase these days, you know, let's be friendly, that helps, you know. Um, so you'd really put that down as a fail. You know, if I was the guy next to the bloke yelling at him on the way, I'd probably say, mate, I know, he, you know, he's a clever guy and we didn't get him, but you didn't have to abuse him. But, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you just think, oh, okay, let's do better. However, <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you'd think this atheist would be even more put off than Christianity than ever. But what happens, he says this in the book, as I walked away, I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. I passed a church and started wondering about what these guys had said. I wondered about the Trinity. I wondered whether God was looking down on me. When I got home, I began arguing myself, arguing with myself. And then I sensed God's presence 
right there in my room. I had been wanting empirical evidence, but instead God gave me something else, the evidence of his presence. So it wasn't apologetics that reached me. My brain had to cut, catch up afterwards. I was simply overwhelmed by the palpable presence of God. He prayed right there in his room. And then two days later, he walked into a church, found a pastor to help him understand what was going on, who prayed with him again, made sure he had the words right for the sinner's prayer. I'm being a bit facetious, you know, don't have to have the perfect wording, but, you know, just made sure he was on the, the right track and he started his journey with Jesus. Today, he is a PhD qualified theologian, one of the most highly regarded and prolific Christian writers, academic writers in the whole world. He's written 21 books. He's done a commentary on the book of Acts that has got over 3 million words in it. It's like this multi-volumed, amazing, deep, highly acclaimed uh, work. And so you never know, even a clunky, awkward, slightly angry <laughs> version of sharing faith can produce an amazing Christian apologetics expert down the track. So let's live in the truth, yeah? Let's be bold in sharing the truth. And to help you do that, you know, this week for our weekly witness, we're going to get everyone, you can do that now, guys, I'm going to get everyone to get a Gideon's Bible. Now, these Bibles we've purchased from the Gideons, they can't be resold, but they can be given away. And you may have had these at school or university or whatever. I want you to take one. Inside is a church card. And we're going to pray all together. And sometime this week, we're going to look for an opportunity to share our faith, just share something about our Christian journey and to find someone. I don't mean tuck it under someone's windscreen wipers on their car. I mean, you know, in conversation uh, that someone might be willing to take this because these little New Testaments are fantastic. They've got Psalms, Proverbs, New Testament, little where to find help when you're struggling with whatever section. And it's got a prayer of commitment with a little summary of four spiritual laws, the, the gospel all summarised. In fact, you can get an app. If you search Gideon's app, they have a, an amazing free app that uh, you can put on your phone and you can then share it with someone if they are so young that they don't want a physical little thing and or maybe they're just you know, or you want someone else and you've given that one away. And the app is brilliant because it's got all the same content. It's even got other languages. It'll even speak to you. You can download it so that it's got an audio version um, and it's all free uh, because this is what the Gideons do. As you know, they've been all about the Word of God for many, many years. Um, so, yeah, we'll give them out to people over in the overflow room and, uh, and we're going to have this just as a little prompt and tool for this week. Amen? Praise Him. hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.